Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's episode. Hey, guess what? Before we get into it, you might have heard, I am drafted to the two Ramagpies as a part of the Carlton Draft. I'm going to be playing a game, dominating, kicking six, and then resetting at quarter time. For the first time in Carlton Draft history, one lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Erin Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good's that? If you want to enter this now to get her down to your football club, visit thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com. G'day guys, welcome back to Dylan Friends. This week on the show, five-time All-Australian, Premiership player and one of, if not the best fullbacks of all time, Alex Rance. It was so good catching up with this legend. I'd never met him before and he's now my friend. We touched on it all, early days and the rise of the Tigers, the consistency at the top, as I mentioned, five-time All-Australian, his reasons for leaving football behind, we touch on his faith, what he's been up to with the academy, and plenty, plenty more. Cannot thank this man enough for coming on the show. It was absolutely incredible having him in the studio. Hope you enjoy the chat. Let's go. My name is Deborah, Dylan's mum. Welcome to the Dylan Friends Podcast. Many ways, I've been waiting my whole life for this moment. Tears. 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 Strength. I'm like, I run. She's like, yeah. everyone runs. I'm like, but does everyone go to Me- the Olympics? <laughs> They're sitting there meditating, going, oh my God, I think I'm meditating. How can this is for meditating? It's like, <laughs> we had a Wu Tang call. I was like, yo, Dylan, thanks for getting us in. Just love it's it. knuckle puck time. Yeah. It's like, it's like <laughs> Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. Alex Rance, welcome to the Dylan Friends podcast, my friend. It's, it's not a small thing saying this is a big thing for the podcast. No, thanks. Thanks for having me, Joe. It's actually my very first podcast. You're kidding. Never done a podcast before. <laughs> uh, been on radio, been on TV. So, yeah, I'm actually pretty nervous, to be honest. So am I. I'm sweating. Uh, I'm, I'm sweating, but I sweat a lot. Um, I like sweating. Now, this is actually funny. I wasn't going to talk about this, but name dropping. I ran into Mike Sheehan just five minutes ago before you were, you were coming in. I was waiting for you. And I was flexing on Mike as we're competitors these days. He's runs one of the biggest, one of the best journos in the AFL that there's ever been. And he said, who you got today? I said, Rancy. Rancy's coming in. And he didn't believe me. He did, I didn't actually believe me. I sort of thought for a second, is this a stitch up? He actually might not be coming. But <laughs> he said on. that he's even asked you on open mic and you've chosen Dylan Friends. Yeah, well, you know, I want to be a friend of Dylan Friends. <laughs> so I'm not, I've, I've always been, it's, it's always been a very us and them mentality between journos and, and players. Yeah. And so, you know, I'd, I'd like to stick with that sort of oh, tradition. Oh man, he's smooching me. I feel really good right now. <laughs> I feel so good. Um, mate, honestly, it's so, so good to have you in. Such a pleasure. Massive fan of, of you as a, as an individual and a, a player for a long time. And, and today to, to unpack that, I suppose it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, have you been, man? Like I, as I said, larger than life character, you're almost in a way like I refer you to like a Batman. Like you're this guy <laughs> that like everyone loves. You, you've, you know, one of the most consistent AFL players in the game, this big personality. And all of a sudden you just disappear. And it's just like, it's so like exciting. Well, that was sort of wasn't really, uh, I didn't have like a brand manager that's like, this is going to be great for your identity. Just drop off the face of the earth. That'll be, be awesome. Yeah. When you make your comeback, which I'm not, uh, you know, um, or am I? Uh, Dark Knight Rises. Um, so, like, I've been good. I've been good. Like, yep. uh, it was kind of an interesting time to retire in 2019, at the end of 2019, because 2020 was the year to be forgotten like you know the Voldemort year like we should never speak of 2020 yeah no seriously we won't um so yeah it was weird like to see uh footy not happening then footy happening so I didn't really get the same sort of like emotional journey out of the game that you can sort of see and like I was kind of torn between like maybe I don't want footy to keep going so maybe like because then I'll make you feel better about myself or I don't know I went through a lot of different emotions but then 
to see the Tigs win at the end of 2020, I was like so pumped yeah. and so excited because out of such a horrible year, at least my mates got to get something good out of it. Um, but yeah, it was such a weird transition 2020. Um, but 2021 started off a lot better. Um, and But it's been good in a way that I could just sort of stop and reflect and take stock of the decision that I made and realize that it was a really good one. So I, I love that. And and look, we had very different careers um, in terms of everything. But oh, I, think, <laughs> I, think I think we that, actually might have played on each other a few times. When you were oh, the Blues did not play like, on you. So, you know, <laughs> run into each other. Because, you know, you're a forward sort of, you know, getting around the feet. Because I, I was talking yeah. to Hammer about it. Sean Hampson. Oh, when you guys Hambo. were um, yeah. in your Carlton together and all that kind of stuff. And I reckon like, because we were all cutting our teeth together. Like yeah. you, me and Hammer, we we're all kind of like, fringe dwellers for the first sort of three Do years. Do not ever compare no, me we to were, you. We were, him, yeah. And then like, you know, in and out of VFL sides, the team trying to trade us out and all that kind of stuff. And it just so happened that I got lucky and my career went yeah, on. Yeah. And then- You did it for us, you basically. Know, I, I did it for the battlers. Yeah, so, good. You know, good. Pick, pick 18 in the draft. Yeah. You know, I was like, you know, really <laughs> yeah, battling. Yeah, no, I, um, I definitely agree. And I, I felt that connection throughout, even though we never <laughs> spoke about it. Um, speaking of Sean Hampson, Something that I want to bring up that I'm actually really upset about with him for once. I, Sean and I are both fans of stage performances. Yep. Like so Jersey like Boys. Theatre. Yeah, theater. Yeah. So I love Jersey Boys. Yep. Okay. Went there. I was like, Hampo, you're going to love this. So got Hampo a ticket. You know, I'm a rookie. have no money here. And bought Hampo a ticket. Also, none of the other boys a ticket. Hambo never paid me back for that ticket. What still to this well, day. If you're listening to this, Sean, I'm, I'm looking into the mic as if I'm staring into your yeah. eyes. Pay him back, yeah, you dog. Yeah. You got the Ascot Food Store. You got all these. Like, He's got money. Hollywood, Dollywood. You yeah, know, all this kind of whatever your place is in Dalesford. Pay the man back. Yeah, it's actually, it's actually still a bit raw. Um. Anyway, we'll move on. I always like to say how we know each other. Obviously, that was one story. But another one is Dave Allard, your cousin, actually played at Carlton as well. Um. For fans of the podcast, I know I'd sell this story a lot, but he actually beat me up on my first day, really? which probably won't surprise you. I don't think he's a bit of an angry man. Oh, I've, yeah. So. So, a long story short about Dave, and I'll get you to elaborate on your story in a sec. So, so Dave and I are second cousins, but like cousins. So, oh. but we didn't really know we were cousins until we started playing football. So, there was always this like legend of this guy called Dave Ellard who won like every association best and fairest from like Super 12 sad. until like 16 because he was just like accumulator. So, everyone was like, oh, Dave Ellard, Dave Ellard. And so, we both got a scholarship to go to Guildford Grammar in Perth together. And then we were like, oh, we're kind of like related or something. So, the first interaction we really had was in like woodwork class because <laughs> we were both trying to share this lathe. He was on it. I was on it. He ends up taking Face the off. wood out of the lathe and donging me on the head with it. So, Again, another thing we have in common. He's an absolute brute, man. He, he's an absolute he's, brute. He's softened now with parenthood, so... He definitely... Uh, just on that, and I think that you would agree with this, like, we talk about being more of a, you know, a person than a player. Like, one thing I do love about Dave Allard, and I got a lot of uh, a lot of respect for him on this, is I think he signed, like, 10 one-year deals, and he was just, like, the biggest hustler, like, always doing work outside of footy. Yeah. And it was something that I was like, I've got to do this too, you know? Like, I'm like Dave, I've got to, like, think about what's next. And now he's you know, going really well, living over in Perth and has just had like one of the best transitions out of sport, which we'll talk about later, something we're both pretty passionate in. I don't know. Always had this like really working class mentality that like I think um, generationally like our um, age group is kind of the, the bridge between the really old school like semi-professional like working class earn your stripes to now kind of like a younger generation that a lot of things are sort of like given and they're almost famous before they're famous like with instagram and social media and mm. all that kind of stuff and so he was still like 
very much an old school working class. Like I need to earn my stripes even when I have my stripes kind of thing. So it doesn't surprise me at all that he's had such a sex- successful transition. Like him and like Rowie as well. Yeah. Like they just like- well, They were working as- They built Mick uh, Moldhouse's- uh, back patio while they were playing at Carlton. He probably Mick would have actually taken a probably a tax deduction off he that did. as well. He yeah, did. He's like, <laughs> yeah, we've heard those. <laughs> <laughs> like going back, um, I suppose as you're saying, Guildford, um, grandma's a kid. You're playing at Swan Districts. What was Alex Rance like growing up um, playing at Swan Districts? I know. Uh, did you play with Yaron and and the likes? Yeah. So we had that like the super under-18s team, like they always talk about being like the best team that's ever played as an under-18. So we had like uh, Nick Natanui, uh, Chris Yaron, Neville Jetta, Lewis Jetta, myself, Dave Ellard, Luke Pratt, Clancy Pierce, Tony Knott, all drafted in one Jeffy year. Garlett, was he there as Sorry, well? Sorry, Jeff Garlett yep. was there as well. I reckon there might've even been another two. Uh, so like 12 drafted from imagine like the Geelong Falcons or Oakley Chargers or Calder Cannons or something in one year, like which we just we won the grand final by like seventy points, uh, and that was mainly because of Nick Natanui. But um, yeah, like and Yaz was just like a weapon as well. Oh. Like everyone saw how mercurial he was when he was playing. Um, so like I was kind of uh, like under sixteens. I was trash. Like I made the under sixteens state team just probably because of my dad's name. Like Rance, maybe he should be good or Seals. something. Yeah. Um, so I was like this boring stay-at-home fullback um, that wasn't even close to bothering any recruiters. Got a scholarship to Guildford. Um, really enjoyed it there. So it got a bit more confidence within my body and um, just started to put on a bit more size and stuff. And was playing as like a midfielder and then. We finished school a year early. So I finished school at 17, 18. I was working just doing furniture. So I took a gap year. I got accepted into landscape architecture out of school. Um, and I took a gap year and um, started moving furniture. So I started to get a little bit more confident in my body and then played under 18's footy. So that whole year was like, basically, I'm going to give footy a crack and see what happens. Um, and then, yeah, I was sort of made the state team, made the All-Australian team. Um, and then, yeah started to draw a bit of attention towards the back end of the year but it was not it was kind of all it all happened in one year like I, I went from 16 to 18 being completely off the radar to being like in the top 20 in the draft so it was kind of a pretty quick transition that's huge man so even at a, a younger age and i suppose we'll get to this later with with your story and your, your love for footy but also love for other things like it wasn't always at the top of your radar it was just like something you did because you enjoyed it but it wasn't like be all and end all well it's like yeah enjoyment was kind of a weird thing to attach to footy at that age as well because I didn't really enjoy it that much like I started playing footy when I was 12 so I guess probably to wind it back for those who don't really know me or much about my family and stuff so my dad he was the second captain ever of West Coast he came over before so before that um, he won three premierships at Swan Districts Uh, then the AFL became a thing come over and played for the Bulldogs went back when West Coast got introduced was the second ever captain so I had a bit of a name to sort of um live up to but I didn't really know that until other people sort of told me that um so never really played footy up until like I was 12 um but I, my old man would always kick it kick the footy with me in the backyard he actually did his ACL slipping on a dog turd in the backyard <laughs> uh, post footy never never injured himself but that's when he actually did his ACL um so that was a pretty funny story but I think I was like 11 or 12 like no um so uh so that's a funny story about Muzza. Yeah. Shout out Muzza. Shout um, out Muzza. I know he's a big So kid. then under 12s, uh, my very first possession was a throw. So I, <laughs> I, I was playing for the Naranda Hawks. I jumped on the footy, packed myself. Everyone's jumped on and I've just like tunnel balled it in between my legs to throw it out. And the umpire's just like, 
Like, that is a throw <laughs> and you're playing the wrong sport, big fella. Um, so it was, yeah, like, yeah, I just went from just being nothing and just sort of playing it just because my dad wanted to do it. And um, yeah, like we would sort of like duck out of church a bit early just to get to footy and stuff like that on a Sunday. And so it was kind of just like a weird... Um, yeah, relationship, me and footy to start. It's crazy because from what I've heard from when you were a young player at Richmond, it's more that like, and again, this probably doesn't correlate and it might just be more of you as a person, but like your work ethic and, and training standards are sec- like second to none. So, did that come later? Did that come when you were sort of at that, you know, draft age or was that what happened when you first got to Richmond? Um. I think I'm naturally uh, like a people pleaser. Like yeah. I love making people laugh. I'll, if it's like an awkward situation, I'll try and de-awkwardize it by maybe making myself yes. the butt of it or something like that. And so I guess that was probably my vehicle of acceptance is like work so hard that no one can deny that they can sort of accept me. Um, and like I was always an athlete. Like I, I loved triathlons when I was growing up. Um, and probably one of the reasons why I changed schools is because I'd basically do every athletics event into school and we still lost. Like it was just, we were just not, I went to like a music and art school for my first, like up until year 10. So that's where I kind of got my like theatrical side and yep. public speaking and all that kind of stuff. Like my sister loved it, but for me, I was just like, we need some sport in this gym. Yeah. Like, and so me and uh, the PE teacher just used to hang out all the time. And then I was like, <laughs> out, out, I, was, I was out of there. Um, Mr. Pitt, his name was, uh, he used to play for Swan Districts as well. I was like, man, this guy's the man. You know, <laughs> yeah. you, you know when you look up to PE oh, teachers, man. it's like, they're the best. And now I look back and I'm like, I, I think I've actually Googled his career and he, he didn't play too many games um, for Swan Districts. Anyone, <laughs> anyone older than you that has like done anything you think are like the coolest people in the world? Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't know, it, like- I did work really hard because I felt like that was the only thing I had going for me because yep. I didn't think I was a very good footballer. Um, do you remember a player called Clinton Benjamin? No. Played for Carlton? Yes. Well? No. <laughs> so, he's, he was like- So, he went to Hale. I went to Guildford. He was like the best two, four, eight hundred- uh, one, two, four hundred meter runner in like in WA. And then he got drafted and but he just sort of couldn't run to the right places and probably wasn't in the right sort of, you know- coaching zone yes. all that kind of stuff but like I felt like he and I were really similar that we we're both athletes but we just didn't know how to funnel that into being a footballer mm. um, so yeah I just tried to work my tail off get respect that way because I couldn't really get respect by getting the footy so yeah, um, yeah I guess that's how that tag came do you reckon that the respect at like it obviously forged into respect and I know it was but early days there's a story I don't know if there's any truth to this but telling Richo to run through the cones at <laughs> <laughs> on your first session yeah. is there any truth to this people don't know Matthew Richardson at that stage would have probably been in the peak of his career or down like finishing off his career first day you're there he's not he's pulling up too short of the cones and you're just making sure the big fella runs through I've got a lot of like f- stupid floggy things that I've done throughout my yeah. life but this probably <laughs> takes the cake you know like in your first year the guy who's like the marquee player like and it's like it's like Matthew Richardson daylight the next person or maybe like Nathan Brown he yeah. was a big marquee player yeah. as well and like so the thing is it wasn't even a conditioning session it was just like <laughs> the warm up to a training <laughs> session like cone to cone warm up and like Richo's just sort of like pulled up like maybe 
three meters before the cone just sort of like trundle through i'm like oh get through to the cone like first year and everyone's just like whoa this kid is coming hot he's either going to crash and burn or something's going to happen with his career so either way it could be interesting did that though did you sustain that throughout your career because i know what it's like look as we said earlier there's not a lot of things we've got in common but one is uh, that early journey into AFL, both went into teams that probably weren't performing to what they were, you know, they're big, proud clubs that weren't performing to where they should. And I know straight away, I look at myself, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a lot like you, like I'm exuberant and whatnot, but that got beaten out of me when I got there because of, I think, I'm not saying it's it's no one's fault. You've got to be strong enough in your personality to, to be your own person, but it took me a long time to learn that. But with all these older guys around, you know, I wasn't saying boo. And, mm. and you're saying that in your first year, like, did, did it get beaten out of you at any stage or were you just strong and saying, no, this is who I am, I'm going to keep doing it? I was kind of strong in who I was. Like, I didn't really care too much. Um, and like, my philosophy was like, they're either laughing at me or with me. As long as they're laughing, I don't care. Yeah. So like, but I, I hear what you're saying and I think it. I hope that that tradition is changing, that it's, it's kind of like, you can't laugh and have fun unless you're winning. Yeah which it's like the chicken or the egg. Like what comes first? You have fun, then you win or you win, then you have fun and laugh. Like, and yeah, we were at the same point, like where like now and even through the back, the more successful times of the Richmond footy club. And I know how much they celebrate and have fun now. It's like, even in losses, like you've still got to see the funny side. Mm. Like, cause if you, if you just keep accumulating and building up all this negativity in your life, it's all going to come crashing down at some point. Yeah. Um, so yeah i guess i kind of just like pushed through it and and i i made sure that i sort of life is tribal like you've got to keep the people who love that close to you so there was guys like adam patterson and will thirstfield and adam thompson and um jaden post and andy brown who like we were kind of all in the same tribe we all laughed at stupid stuff we're all kind of finding our way from a football perspective where we fit um so that was kind of our tribe within a tribe if it mm. made sense so like as much as i wanted the like first round draft picks and like all the best players to accept me like i still had my tribe at the end of the day and i think that's why like as my career went on i resonated with a lot of the players that sort of struggled and made their way through is because i struggled too like my career wasn't exactly like you know top 10 pick straight into a straight into the lineup um and then you you go from there like and that's probably why Koch is and Jack are such good players is because they were so good at a young age and mm. they just kept going with it. Whereas I was like up and down, up and the down and, so, yeah. and found my way, which I guess makes me relatable too. Yep. Um, but that's why you need different people within a club to help relate. can definitely see that. And, you know, as we'll, we're talking about then, I just had this memory of when I was a young guy at Carlton and I said, as I really struggled early to like be myself because I was like, fuck, I've got to conform to this and, you know, I've got to be like Chris Judd if I want to be like successful. I'm not Chris Judd, you know, I'm me. And I remember going into a meeting one day with like the leadership group and the, and this isn't, a, this isn't a goal at the least, like they're all still like my friends today, but this was more like the messaging coming down to the leadership group was that I was laughing too much yeah. and like <laughs> I needed to take things more seriously and like I look back now and I just think like, fuck me, like... I was actually going out on the track trying not to smile because, yeah. like, that was, gotta like, serious, gotta yeah, got to be serious. And I was, like, even if something funny happened, I was just, like, pretending it didn't happen because, yeah. like, I couldn't laugh. I, I, I hate that. I, I hate – so, yeah, I – see, I, I went the extreme. If someone told me that I 
I couldn't do that or just stop. I would go to the next level. But that's the thing that you were saying before, though, isn't it? About like laugh before you win or win before you laugh. If you're performing on field, even though you said you had these ups and downs, it's okay to laugh because I'm playing in the twos and can't get a game. I'm not allowed to smile. I don't don't like bagging it out, but for me, that's not good culture. It wasn't. You've got to celebrate everyone at every level, you know, because it takes 40 blokes to win a premiership. Like whether you're... um, you know, look at Marlon Pickett, for example. If he came in uh, in uh, 2019 and was just sort of like, didn't hold himself the way that he did, then he wouldn't have, because he started in rehab, was in rehab for so long, just like bought into the culture. And then who knows what's going to happen at the end of the day, gets his selection, wins, wins a premiership medal and just like plays amazingly in that game. But if there is this like suppressive culture of like, you're not allowed to be you until you're good, mm. There's no way that he would have had that game. There's no way that that story would have existed. So culture has to be like, be you. And how can we utilize all your assets on field and off field to make us a better team? For sure. And I think, you know, now from what people are saying and, and at Giants, you know, they did that really well. And I know Richmond have done it well publicly. It's, it's been a big thing, you know, authenticity and, and celebrating um, being different and, and whatnot. But I know that the Blues are doing that now too. So I just don't get too upset if you're listening to this. Um <laughs> Mate, this is totally off topic, but when I was doing my research today, something I wanted to ask you about was, I think you would have been in your second or third year when Ben Cousins went to Richmond. Yeah. Being a WA boy yeah. and an AFL lover, like, we all love Ben Cousins. You know, there's like a sweet spot in your heart about Ben Cousins. We still love, I love him till the day I die. What was it like when he rocked up there? Because I'd totally forgotten about that period. That was kind of like the first injection of like... um like hysteria that I'd ever experienced around because everyone's like, oh, Richmond's a sleeping giant, all this kind of stuff. Like you wait until you have success and like every club says that. Yeah. To a big Victorian tub club. But, you know, he came down and it was just like at a midweek training session, there was thousands of people lining the boundary just to watch him warm up. Yeah. And like he'd literally do two strides and go inside because yeah. his body was fried <laughs> yeah. and he couldn't do anything. <laughs> like, but just his, like, he was the epitome of inclusion. Yeah. Like, he, he was always, and that's where I, I, the thing that I took from him about, and his like sort of rubbing off on me was um, that it's always you, you've got to protect your tribe. So his tribe was the players. So he was even like, and the, one of his favorite is like, "This is us against them boys." Like, and then we're like, you know, "Who, cuz he? Like, who, who are we against?" He's yeah. like, "The coaches. Yeah. We're, we're, it's us first. Then we got to protect each other. We got to look after each other. You know, if they're gonna drop one of our blokes, we got to let them know about it." Like. And in some ways, I was like, that's such madness. But in, in another way, I'm like, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, you do have to protect that because sometimes the coaches don't know what's happening in the locker room. And so, I was like, that that was so real. It was like such a cool experience. That, and that one thing I'll always take is even though... And that was the the the, um, the strength of a leadership group is being that connection between the playing tribe and the coaching tribe and making sure that you're not really picking sides one or the other because you can't you, you need to be the bridge but like i had nothing but positive experiences with yeah. Cuzzy. um so yeah no i know it's, it's look it's so sad what's what's happened there but i, I know that everyone that has you like played with him and know like just can't speak better of him mm. it's just obviously a sad story that we, we don't know the rest of it um how many coaches did you have at richmond early day like before they got to dimmer uh so it was only terry wallace and okay. then dimmer Okay. So, uh, and then David King was my backline coach. Um, Kingy, I didn't yeah. know he coached. So he was, um, yeah, 
he was he was an interesting coach like because he, he was kind of the first of the um like play to your strengths type thing but because he was such a good kick i don't think he could understand that the rest of us aren't that yeah, good a kick I so he's like that. mate just back your kicks i'm turning the ball over like <laughs> i'm kicking at 20 percent efficiency and he's like just back your kicks man i'm trying david i can't do it like so that was uh that was probably why the ups and downs <laughs> were there but he was um yeah. yeah he wouldn't have been a good coach for me i don't think oh. that that doesn't make sense um richmond as we said, you know, early weren't performing to what they did. All of a sudden, you hit, you know, that 2016 mark. Um, 2015's building, obviously, 2016. 17, the premiership. Um, we've, you know, we've spoken to Ben Cry on the podcast before. We've spoken to Emma Murray about some changes there. But from your point of view, what, what were the biggest changes at that time that got Richmond to, to what it is now? It all kind of started because we were, like, we did play finals, um, I think our first final was against uh, you guys, Carlton. Um, and then, so you guys won that one. And we hadn't won a final. We played against North. And then we played against Port, where we got absolutely wiped out. And then we missed the finals. And then it was kind of... Um, so we'd had a, a little bit of a taste of success. And so we sort of knew that, like, we had talent, but that wasn't enough. Um, it wasn't enough for us to win at the at the top level. And we didn't really have sort of a identity of gameplay like that this is what a richmond brand looks like and so i guess the transition for us felt like well okay this is a clear idea of what our identity is on field and this is the piece that i can put into that and so it's not about saying that you know we're going to draft camden mcintosh and we want you to be exactly like trent cochin it was like okay camden mcintosh you're an elite runner um you're really physical you're going to be like the most physical wingman we've ever seen and he, that's his role like and almost becoming more specific with um the value a person can add so this is your role and no one else can take this from you and, and that's the thing that i sort of see the danger in some of what potentially the dogs are doing is they're trying to make like midfielders play forward and rotate everyone through it's kind of like well now i'm like the most replaceable player in the team because a midfielder can replace me a forwarder can replace me like how comfortable do I feel in in my position? So I don't know. It was kind of about like, first of all, being vulnerable to say, this is my skill set. This is what I offer. And then this is where I can add value on field, but also off field too. So the vulnerability piece helped everyone to be more uniquely themselves to say, whether I get a game or I don't get a game, this is who I am on field and off field. Um, and can I help? And then from there, it sort of was like we celebrated each other's strengths. It's almost like we celebrated you. We didn't celebrate mm. your performance. So it's almost like a bigger pat on the back to say, oh, wow, like you accept me for me. Um, and then that builds. And even if you if you, if you don't get a result, you're still like, you're still my mate. You're still a good person. I still value yeah. you. So that's the, ch- that's the change there that I feel. And, and, you know, it's obviously it's happened and, and that's what Richmond do. But that can't be an overnight thing because those those actions of like, you know, as we said before, laugh before you win, win before you laugh, they're, they're ingrained at like football clubs. And especially when you said it's about culture, that, that couldn't have happened overnight, surely. Like there must have been times where you like went back at and reverting to blaming the person rather than the action or like how long did that process take or was it sort of imminent and they were like, Dimmer was like, no, nah, this is why we're doing it. And it sort of just changed like. I think, um, and we sort of spoke beforehand about like um, coaches and sometimes like boards and um, football clubs are very quick to drop an axe rather than just to like persevere. And the same, like one of Dimmer's most famous sayings is like, uh, you're never as close as what you think and you're never as far away as what you think. And so it's about like, you know, you can get, 
um, some good results from poor process and think you're going the right way about it. But if you have a good process and you just sort of ride it out on an even keel, you're going to get the better results at the end of the day, which is, um, you know, we've seen maybe with North Melbourne that potentially might have jumped at a good opportunity, but maybe didn't look at the process around it. So got some good results with a caretaker situation, but what's the process around that? How can we make sure this is sustainable? And then when things weren't going right, it kind of fell fell down a little bit. Oh, man. You're good. So that's, oh, That was really impressive. I, I, that's what I want to say, but I just can't put that together. Well, that was really cool. No. I, 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 don't, I, I, I don't take compliments well either. That so. was good. No, because it's it's so true. And like you look at back at that, um, there's no one that looks cooler by yourself than Brendan Gale in this situation. Like that thing he did, like where, you know, referencing to back, I think it was Footy Classified with Gary Lyon. There was leaked documents of this bold 10-year plan. And everyone's like, you're not going to do this. And, you know, pair of the mind. I love this shit, putting things into the universe. Universe is my best friend. Brennan Gale has just done this and just backed in and just gone bang, bang, bang. And it shows exactly to your point. And I'm so confident on this in, in the AFL. I think the AFL and I think Australians in general, I don't want to put this in sport. I think as Australians or as people or whatever it is, we're so reactive. Mm. And I, one thing that I really try and do now is if one thing happens, don't react to that one thing. Like step back and look at it as a whole. Like, is that a one-off? Is that something that's just coming now? Like, is it something that we can fix? You know, I'm talking about my own life here. Um, and I'm not sure if it, you've taken anything out of this from that too, because if you if you make decisions on one thing or one thing that's not going right, it's just, it, it doesn't make sense. Mm. One of the, like, so Ben Rutten, he was probably... Um the most um, well-rounded coach that I ever had in that like the way he approached leadership and the way that he approached uh, football technique and the way that he approached work-life balance taught me so much um, and, and sort of stabilized me. And in, in some ways, it was probably the worst thing for my football career because it made me like comfortable enough to want to retire. Yep. But uh, one of the things that uh, he used to say was like our biggest enemy is emotion a lot of the time. So he would always say to me that, is this logic or is this emotion? Mm. Like, what do we have to back up this? Like, what's the data that says that this is a correct decision or is this an emotional decision? Um, and and that can carry out in a football set circumstance. So, you know, for example, on field, um, you know, I feel like I'm being beaten a lot. Like, um, you know, I just lost that contest. Uh, I can't lose the next one. If I lose the next one, then I'm, you know, probably gonna get dropped. If I get dropped, then I'm not gonna be able to pay my bills. If I don't pay my bills and my wife's gonna leave me, if my wife leaves me, I'm gonna die alone. So you've lost one contest and then you're dying alone. Like <laughs> yeah. that's, that's you. so that's from one life, contest, honestly, yeah. then, but like, what's the logic? I've lost one contest. Well, I win heaps of contests in the rest of my career. It's just one, whatever, move on. And then, you, and then you're back in, yeah. like it's sort of, Separating the emotion from the logic, I think, is the most um, powerful thing in decision making. Um, and but but it's it is a fine line because the world is so emotional. It, it's it's so it's so emotional, and I I find that now just in in life and in general. You know, I'm I'm a very reactive person. Like I love like when I've got something in my mind, I'm like I need like I fucking need that. And if I don't, I now I've sort of learned to give myself let it breathe, give myself 24 hours, and then you'd be amazed what changes as you said once the emotion goes and you actually start thinking with your brain very cool premiership 2017 impressive very cool as you said all these things change you're, you're playing some great footy um and we'll touch on your form in a minute that how consistent that was over that five years five year period i think it was um you know 
as with the accolades would show. What's your memories going into that first grand final? Um, I love grand finals. I say this so strangely, but I don't think I would want to play in an AFL grand final. I know that sounds really bad because I played footy because the it just would fucking kill me. Like how I, – I don't deal with that as well. Like I want to be a premiership player, but the anxiety of a game playing like that honestly makes me feel sick. Yeah, is it that you don't want to like? It's probably the fear ruin, of failure. But is it that you don't want to ruin like the idea of what a grand final would be? No, like, or is it just no. Like- it's just probably just thinking, "Fuck, it's a big, steep, big stage." Like, yeah. would I be able to perform on that stage? You know, have I got the runs on the board? Mm. Which, really, like, you know, not being too harsh on myself, I probably did, wouldn't have had the runs on the board to perform there. And that's probably why I didn't get there. But what was it like for you? It was a really. It was just kind of like a wave. Like I, I think. Because there was such a stark contrast between 2016 where we didn't make finals to us just being like top four, win, 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 grand final. This is kind of like, oh, that was easy. Like, which it wasn't <laughs> like, you know, but it's just kind of like when you get on a roll and like, I think Dimmer's like so right whenever like all the negative journos want to say, oh, Richmond aren't what they're supposed to be. But like, you don't win premierships in the start of the year. Like you can lose them for sure, but you don't win them at the start of the year. Just work your way into it. Don't stress. It's going to yeah. be okay. Like get to the important part and then win the rest. Like this isn't like the EP, uh, EPL. English Don't Premier points, League. yeah. Yeah, it's not like the first past the post. Like peak at the right time. Um, So that year was kind of just like, once we won that first final, it was just kind of like, we're going all the way. Yeah. And because we had like basically a full house every game. So we had like, uh, we played Geelong, GWS, and then uh, Adelaide. It was like, so Geelong was our home game. No, uh, So Geelong was their home game, but it felt like a Richmond home game. It was so loud and so noisy. But like, I guess I was really fortunate in that we had such good system and so cemented in our minds that as soon as the ball was bounced, it was like, we're dialed in. Like, this is just like A to B, B to C, C to D, E to F, siren goes, we've won the game. Like, Mm. it's kind of it becomes almost robotic because I was very similar to you in the first half of my career. I used to spew before every game because I was so nervous. But because And so game day became the worst part of my career. I hated game day. Yeah. But I loved the, the sheds and the, the laugh and the banter and training and working hard and building yourself up to that point. And I know I needed the game to sort of like- Have the rest. Yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, I guess I have to play if yeah, you want me to. Seriously though, um, that was actually how it felt. Um, so yeah, once I like- I was so it was the grand final was a relief for me like it was just kind yeah. of like I feel satisfied and relieved like not this sense of like you know pride or anything like that it was more relief than anything um so yeah it was kind of like just this wave like Geelong GWS Adelaide done that was just kind of like wow that was that seemed too easy because we knew our process so well huge is there a nuance that sticks out in the game for you i know you know every game and we talk about every game's got it but in a big grand final it's amplified because it's the biggest stage and the biggest game of the year is there a moment in that game that you were just like fuck we're on here or was it just more the process in itself you're just on a roll i don't i never had a moment like that because um everyone talks about like the dan butler goal like there was a goal where butts kicked it was sort of like bouncing down the right side of the ground sort of went to ground and he kicked it and that was that was kind of like the sealer that gave us enough breathing room but i don't remember that only because i was so dialed in i was talking about structure and organizing and like because i'm such an extrovert i would just be like 
you know, Dave, you're in the right spot. Grimes, you hold left side. Bash, you're up front. Nick, um, like I would make sure everyone was structured and organized. So I didn't have time to be like, we could win here. Like this yeah. could be it. This could be my first premiership ever. So like it was sort of just like, this is my next thing that I have to do. And then before I knew it, the siren was gone. And it was just kind of like, oh, like that's it. That's huge. That's mm-hmm. so cool. There's one moment that really sticks out to me. It actually wasn't in the grand final, but it was in that Geelong game. And look, it's probably very... Um, you know, already shown that this happened, but that goal that um, Trent Cotchin kicked, where he like did the ground ball, Spun did that spin, yeah. and I was just like, these these blokes are fucked. Like that, you know, they're not going to lose now. Mm-hmm. Like it was just like, as you said earlier, my views on this. I haven't played in finals before, but I think winning grand finals is all about momentum. And as you said earlier, like it's like peaking at the right time. And when you can get things like that going, it's not very rarely does a team that's not in good form win a grand final mm. it's about that momentum coming through when I saw that I was just like yeah they've got it the best I guess the best um, analogy for a final is like a tug of war so you can either win a tug of war a game of tug of war by just like brute forcing the other person over or you can wait until they gas themselves out and just walk over the line and I feel like a lot of our finals were like we just waited and held and held and held until it was like a gas out and then like the final pull was like the cotch spin and then that's and then it's just like they're falling over and then we've pulled yeah. the, the, the rope across the line um you know there's some games like um the uh port adelaide verse i can't remember who it was it was like a just a huge blowout like a few years ago like they rarely happen in finals um, so it's always just about leaning and backing your system. Don't change, like don't go for torps up the guts. Don't try and break the game yourself, like stick to structure as long as you can, like stay on it, stay on it, stay on it. And eventually someone might crack. Mm. So it's just about taking the opportunity when it's there. Impressive. Hello, my beautiful friends and family. Guess what? I am back. I am back. Third time lucky. My third time drafted in my life. I'll be making a return to footy as a part of the Carlton Draft, along with some big household names. Not as big as my name, but uh, some quite big names. Isaac Smith, Trent Cotchin, Matty Lloyd, Lee Montagna. Some of the all-time greats of our game, as I've just mentioned. One lucky Victorian women's community club will get the chance to draft the AFLW GOAT, Aaron Phillips, to play as a wild card. How bloody good is that? If you're a part of women's community footy and you are keen to get Aaron down, enter now at thecarltondraft.com.au. That's thecarltondraft.com.au. Consistency is is something as well that has been, you know, massive factor in your career. 2014 to 2018, uh, 2014 to 2017 or 2018, five times All-Australian, captain in 2017, what do you put that down to? Like, in all honesty, that that's something where in my life now, like consistency is like my main focus. Like, I just want to be the most consistent person I can. You you did that, you know, on field for five years, competing at that level. What what do you think is the biggest factor in that? Is it routine? Is it is it confidence? Is it? I think it's still a sense of identity that goes in with that. Like, if you're constantly trying to, and this probably like transcends sport. It, it's if you're constantly trying to chase a trend then you're never really going to fully grasp it. And like, I felt like I had enough of a brand on field that could stand up against most. Like, and I got given confidence by, you know, I played on Buddy Franklin and won a few times. I played on Josh Kennedy and won a few times. Like I played on Drew Petrie and he beat me a few times. Like, so I knew what worked and what didn't, but I had this overarching confidence that like, if I do what I do, I'll be okay. So I wasn't really reactive to like, I'm playing on Tex Walker this week, so I've got to change this. I'm playing on Jonathan Patton this week. I'm playing on Jeremy Cameron this week. And 
you lose that sense of identity. It's kind of like, no, this is how who I am. This is how I play. And this is the structure that I play in. I know I can be successful if I do that. Just stick to that. So it was almost like simplifying rather than keeping chasing the trend of like, you know, we've got to be intercept markers or we've got to be big spoilers or we've got to be this, we've got to be that. It's kind of just like, this is my brand. I'm going to play it regardless of what the game dictates. Mm. And sometimes that frustrated the coaches. Like, you know, times I'd go for the mark when I probably should have gone for the spoil and they'd kick a goal. But I'm like, that's me. You've got to take the good with the bad sometimes. Mm. So. Do you think that's transferred now into your off-field work, like into your career now with the academy and off-field? Is it something that you still try and do and just back yourself in, um, be consistent and, and stick to what you know and not necessarily what everyone tells you to do? Um, I think so. I've just got to sort of reformulate that. Like I'm still trying to rediscover my identity. Like I know who I am as a core, but I don't know what that now looks like in another space. Like I knew what that looked like in a footy, mm. footy space for 12 years, but I'm sort of rebuilding that now. So like I know I am going to make some wrong decisions along the way, um, but now it's about, again, talking about what we talked about before, making less emotional decisions and being logical. But yeah, I've got to start to have confidence as a, as a business person, as a mentor for these young people about being consistent. This is who I am and I want to empower you to feel the same, that like have this firm conviction of who you are and how you can be successful and what that looks like in your chosen sphere of, of whatever you want to do. Love that. Let's talk about the the finish of the career. Um, obviously, you hurt your ACL in round one against the Blues and that was, you know, you're coming back from that. At the end of that year, you retired. Now, we are talking about this earlier, like a couple of years before that, you were sort of saying that there might have been a time where you retired. I didn't really believe you, um, referred you to Batman and all of a sudden, you actually do retire and the whole AFL world is just, they just can't believe that someone at, you know, as, as good as you were and as dominant as, as you were playing at that stage that you could possibly have something else waiting for you outside of the game. Like, what, what was that like? What was the retirement like? Um, it was challenging um, for a number of uh, reasons because nothing in life comes free. Uh, and, you know, when you think about it from its most purest sense, like, you know, dollar value, um, to get something, you've got to give something up. And so there's always still a part of me which loves football and, and and it's the best job in the world being an AFL player. It's so fun. Like you get to play table tennis with your mates, you're around them all the time. You've got 40 friends, you get new friends every year. Like yeah. it's just, it's huge, it's awesome, but it comes at a cost. Socially, it comes at a cost. Uh, energy, it comes at a cost. Privacy, it comes at a cost. And so retirement for me was looking at all of the chips on the table and saying like, well, what do I really want? What are my priorities now? And so at that point, and it was it was good that the year sort of gave me that time, time in rehab to reflect on, well, my priorities have actually changed. This is what's important with me, my family, my faith. Um, these are the things that I want to put more time and energy into. So it was a logical decision. Like there's plenty of days where I think that I've made the wrong decision, but again, emotion, logic. I look at the relationship I have with my nephews now and it's the best decision I made in my life. So it's just about, it, it was. It's, it seems like an easy decision now, but it was the most challenging decision of my life. How long were you, were you stewing over this? I suppose, did it come, you know, that whole year while you were injured? Were you tossing up a decision? How did the club take it when you even approached them? Was it something on their radar or did it, did it come as a, a shock? Well, like I pushed myself really hard to get back from my knee uh, for two reasons. One, in the back of my mind, I was like, this is probably going to be my last year. Like I'd sort of already toyed with the idea in the year prior yep. that- 
um, I think I might even said to Dave Ashby in an ice bath once. I was like, if I win one more flag, I'm probably done. Like, um, that would that'd probably do me. I did get that flag. I didn't get that flag. Um, but it was that was sort of the process that it was going like going around in my mind. And so, I, I reckon I could have played in that grand final in 2019. Really? So, so you you were back like in terms of fitness, you were good to go. Oh, I felt like I could. Yeah. So physically, I felt like I was okay to play. The lead up to that, had you played any games? None. So okay. that was the thing. Like I set myself from the start, like I, I want to play in the grand final and I'm going to push myself to try and get there. So I was running it like six weeks and I was like doing, like pushing it really hard. And I had like a, a Cyclops lesion removed and all that kind of stuff. But I felt like I was at a point and I kept challenging the, the medical staff to let me play. So it got to a point where we had to make the call, like, am I pushing forward with this or is it just sort of like cue in the rack and we, we go for next year? And I had to have that discussion with Dimmer to say, well, mate, it's sort of, I'm either playing my last game as a as round one or as a, as a grand final. What's what's it going to be? Um, and he was like, "Well, what would what would you do in the situation where if we played you and you felt fine, you broke down mid game and we lost the grand final? Would you mm. be able to live with yourself?" And so <clears throat> it was more of a cultural and emotional decision that I had to make more so than a physical one. That was like, I don't want to risk everybody's happiness for my greed. And so like, and like, who knows? There was probably a little bit of fear of, of re-rupturing again, but the overriding emotion was, I would feel so guilty for the rest of my life if we lost that grand final because I couldn't finish the game. So yeah, that whole year was, was sort of 80% gonna be my last year. Um, but yeah, it just didn't finish the way that I'd hoped it to. But in, in some ways, like it finished better though because i got involved in a vfl premiership almost as like a coach so yep. i started coaching the vfl guys and um being involved in that more and we we played it on um princess park oval uh against willie and like that was a i remember a huge game. highlight like such a great game and so amazing to be a part of that and to experience from a different level so um yeah that was a huge year for me al through your career um being you know so prevalent um and, and you're super passionate and, and committed to your faith and, and religion. From someone, for me, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in this and I don't even know what I'm talking about, to be honest. Would you be able to give us a bit of a, um explanation on, on what your religion is, what, you know, how it works, um, how long have you been religious for? Yeah, so it's like- That was the worst question ever. I'm just going to leave that <laughs> yeah. in though. Leave <laughs> well, it in there. Hey, no. I could, by, the, by the depth so, and length yeah. of that question, I can understand You understand how, that I have no idea what I'm talking about. But I think the thing and like, you know, it's it's great that you, you want to talk about that yeah. um, because I think in Australia, religion is something that, and probably in the world in general, is something that- divides a lot of people oh. and makes people feel very awkward and Mate, sort of like I, then i was like what am i asking like it's it's not a biggest issue that i'm asking about this no. but i was so fucking awkward about it's like, it like yeah it's like asking a like someone like a, a woman what like size dress they wear yeah like, it's just like that's what pe have people feel awkward about yeah really, it's like just the size you wear yeah yeah whatever not that you would do that what size dress do you wear yeah, yeah okay <laughs> you wouldn't do that i don't think yeah, yeah. anyway we're sort of beating around <laughs> the bush anyway Back to back to the faith stuff. So, I think um, for me, like I'm not a, an ambassador and like someone that um, you know, I'm not a spokesperson for Jehovah's Witnesses. Yep. And that's one thing that I want to make really clear to you know whoever is listening is that your faith um, and your religious understanding needs to come from. An education of sorts and so um 
I grew up uh, a Jehovah's Witness. Uh, so the, I guess the difference between being a Jehovah's Witness and um, other faiths, other Christian faiths is that sort of uh, Jehovah's Witnesses don't get baptized at birth. So mm-hmm. uh, baptism is something that's sort of, uh, you've got to make the decision yourself that at that time I want to dedicate my life to this value set that, okay. I, that I agree that this uh, organization is for me, that I, I agree with everything that they're saying. I agree that they're following the Bible's principles and I, I agree that um, like Jehovah is God. Yep. So that that to me was a really big thing that I, I'm not being like forced into believing this. I had the choice to be either in or out. Um, and so, you know, I, I grew up and, you know, my mom and dad sort of, you know, we'd, we'd go to, like I said, we'd go to... Um, church they called meetings so we go to meetings on a sunday um you know sometimes a little bit early to go to footy yeah. so it was sort of like that was the, the dilemma um but it was all about being a bible student so um for me i wanted to learn more about god i, I felt like i was created by my mum and dad so surely who created them and who created them and, and sort of you know kept going and i was like surely there's got to be something that's created us so that was like sort of the first thing and then um you know, I had to work out, okay, with the Bible's there as like a resource to try and like work it out, like maybe I should go there for some answers. So starting to research that and then I was like, okay, well, who's like doing the Bible the best? Like which which like Christian organization do I feel like is doing the Bible the best? And um, then it was sort of, I came back to the fact of, well, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses are doing it quite well. Maybe I should do some more work into that. So it sort of went from a period of, doing it because I had to, because it was a family thing. Um, and, you know, I wasn't forced to sort of commit myself at a young age. And then I sort of went away and, you know, got drafted, played footy, experienced a bit of, you know, a different lifestyle. Then I was like, there's something sort of missing in my life. Like I, I need more of a sort of central value set that gives mm. me more consistency. So came back, did a bit more research, talked to some people and then realized that, yeah, this is the sort of lifestyle that I want to, I want to head down. Um, and the way that I sort of look at it now um, is that if I felt like I had a really good gift or a really good message to give someone, why would I not tell someone about it? And I think that's probably like the most um, known thing. It's been on like the family guy and all that kind of stuff. Like Jehovah's Witnesses are known for like door knocking. Yeah. Like, hello, <laughs> yeah. like we're going to tell you about the future. Like, yeah. you know, would you like a positive hope for the future kind of thing where... And it's kind of like a kooky thing, but at the same time, it's really just to start conversations at the end of the day and, and ask people about like, how do you feel about the future? Like, why are we here? Like, why do we get old and die? Um, and why, like all these different questions, which like we bury and just sort of like, oh, too hard. I'm just going to busy myself. Um, for me, I needed to answer those. And then so from them, I don't know, I, I just sort of was confirm the fact that I, I feel like I have, you know, a, a really good grasp of what I want my faith to look like. It's huge, man. So what, and again, I, I don't know if this is a relevant question, but what does a day-to-day look like? Is it, is it a change of life dramatically or is it just more something that's sitting in the background that helps you live your life the way you want? So there's like, um, so think of it as well, like a, a constant education process that like no one, it's not like a once saved, always saved thing. It's just like, I know this, so I'm good. Like when, you know, the apocalypse comes and all yep. that kind of stuff, like I'm good because I've, you know, done X amount of good deeds. Like it's sort of, it's always just about like building more confidence that the Bible is God's word and that 
you know sort of who God is. So so from a day-to-day perspective, like um, on a Wednesday night and a Sunday, that's when we're sort of like our class, if you will. So, you know, to, to learn how to research, how to, you know, any sort of pointed topics or something that might be happening at the moment um, to improve our Bible understanding, um, but also improve on how to answer questions about like, you know, if people do ask you about what you believe and why do we die and all that kind of stuff, how are you going to answer them? Because uh, it's not very convincing. He's like, oh, just because. Like mm. you need to have conviction about what you do if you're going to commit to it. Um, and then so then what happens behind the scenes is like because I've agreed that the Bible is the way I want to live my life, there's certain principles that sit within the Bible, which is kind of like, you know, I don't really want to murder someone. You know, I, I do want Neither. to treat someone how, <laughs> how I want to be treated. Like there's values that sit within that, which then impact your day-to-day life. So um, it affects you from a value standpoint from a behavioral standpoint from an educational standpoint um but at the same time it's not sort of like this this oppressive like i can't have fun i can't um live my life sort of sort of way to be ah it's it's awesome i honestly really appreciate you you know talking about it opening us and educating us on on what it is because it's like i said and like you said earlier it's awesome to hear that for someone that um is religious it's not a rude thing to ask mm. what it is and how it works um and i think that's it's super so yeah i really appreciate being so so open and honest with it and um yeah it's it's, it's awesome man so next a massive factor in life is the academy doing incredible things we spoke about before 2020 coming out of the game you you know the season wasn't really there so it was sort of hard to to miss were you working into your next big thing obviously the academy now was that straight away you know was it big enough at that stage to go straight into or was it working out what you needed to do so we started the academy in 2016 and and so it was starting to build and we had a um a full cohort in essendon so we had 25 year 11s 25 year 12s um and we just expanded to geelong so we had a class of i think 17 year 11s uh that would, that would transition into year 12 um in 2020 so for me, like from a business model perspective, it stood up that I could come in um, and fulfill a role. It could pay me a wage. Um, it certainly wasn't footy money by any means, but I could still live, which was fantastic for me. It was something that I had identified. It fulfilled the things I loved about football. Like I could be involved and help young people develop. I could stay physically fit. I could be outside, uh, but I could also be creative and innovative and things like that. So for me, that transition was quite easy that I was straight into the academy, straight into something that I loved. Um, but then I had to do it remotely and I had to do it through COVID. So it was a challenging year, but I felt like it was a good one to sort of ease me into business life. And and to give context to the academy, obviously your your business now that you're running, that was was that what you're talking about with Ben Rutten before, how he taught you to go to things outside of sport. Therefore, it was nearly at a stage where you're like, look, I can play footy again, but I can also go to the next chapter of my life and start this. When I look at my career, there's so many people that just put their little piece in to sort of help me develop and become more well-rounded. And and the, the final philosophy that came together with the academy was that I saw so many young people coming into the AFL system and, and pinning their hopes on being a 12 to 15-year career player, earning enough to buy a house and, and then that be a success story. But the vast majority are two to three-year players that get spat out the system, lose their sense of self-worth because if I'm not a footballer, what am I? Yep. Um, and so I wanted to create an education uh, for young people that was, first of all, educating them professionally. So giving them a sound education where if they want to go to uni, if they want to go to TAFE apprenticeship, if they want to 
transfer straight into the workforce, be an AFL player. It's a it's a well-rounded education professionally. But more importantly, personally, giving them an understanding of who they are, why they are the way they are, uh, understanding their own unique um, pros and cons. Um, but also why you love what you love. Um, understanding your passion. Like, why do you play football? Is it for your mates? Is it for the money? Is it for the fame? Is it for like... Because then we can create plan B, C, and D so that you, all, all your eggs aren't in AFL player or bust. Um, so Ben Rutten certainly played a big role in sort of crystallizing all that, but there were so many other people along the way that um, just added their little bit to my sort of teaching philosophy at the academy. It's unbelievable, man. You've, you've got to be super proud of yourself because I think we were chatting before off camera about, about the academy and, and what you've been able to forge with this with this education process from year 11 and 12 onwards. And I think, like, looking back at, at my schooling career now, like, fuck, I just had no idea what I was doing. I had no idea what I was doing. Absolutely no idea. And and to sit down and look at these, you know, exams that I was doing with English and, and maths and have I used them since, um, I think something like the academy, um, it's unbelievable for young people, as you said, to go there and actually be learning about something that they're not only interested in, but they can actually get experience in straight away that will help them on their career path um the biggest thing i looked at as well was that and i know you're a big fan of the show is like the mindset side of things that you do there and and help people in that way like what's what's that about what sort of things happen with with that so we do a lot of um and it sort of feeds into the um personal education component where we have a high performance program which is largely based around um their strength and conditioning and uh also their skill work but it's also around you as an individual so what does high performance look like for you so we're not comparing again like it's not dill buckley versus chris jard it's we're comparing you to you these are your this is your goals this is your ambitions what does high performance look like for you in the classroom outside in the real world as you as a person and inside the gym because people always think about high performance from the aspect of how fast you can run or how much you can lift or how many disposals you can kick but the high performance mindset is something that can be applied everywhere in your life that and it's that consistency that we talked about before that if i want to be a high achiever in my relationship i've got to do this i've got to take time out i've got to uh, be understanding be empathetic all that kind of thing so that's what a high performer looks like mm. in that space so it's about really putting together and helping them tap in and it's it's hard at 10 11, year 10 11 and 12 to sort of realize but i hope later in life it's sort of like ah yeah that made sense like oh yeah because they're doing it now and sort of going through the process a little bit but i'm really hoping that and we see it in when they graduate year 12 that it's like now it's really starting to make Penny sense drops. You, can, you can see them start to really take off well that's that's the old anecdote isn't it like if you can be told something so many times but until it clicks with you you don't take it on board but it's yeah. about being there consistently having that messaging and that's why we were chatting you know before about the, the playing sport in general and being involved in something like the academy you're surrounded by people with such good messaging that you know in a really selfish way i'm so lucky to have had that my other mates didn't mm. you, you're surrounded by professionals that have as you said such good key messages life experience things that you're going to need on the outside you don't actually know that you're learning these things mm. until you need them yeah it's like it's the biggest um it, it is quite a trap too though because we get so much life advice but 
we don't get really educated on how to do it and yeah. how to execute it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, wow, this is what I want to achieve. Like this is, I want to be a good leader. I want to like, um, you know, implement some of these coaching strategies or I want to be a, a teacher or something like that. Be like, okay, this is what a lesson plan looks like. Yeah, this yeah, is what yeah. like, and I'm sure you would have found like, as you became more professional with, you know, your podcasting and stuff, you laptop. have to do research. Like yeah. you have to put time into it. Like it's not just sort of like sit up uh, like, sit here and chew the fat like you've put time into this and yeah. like if i had a dollar for every person that sort of said hey i just started my podcast and can we have a chat yeah, yeah. like it's sort of i'd probably have like 10 bucks but, <laughs> but it's kind of just like you know how much how much effort have you put into this how yeah. professional are you with this and it's you know that's one thing that i i really look to um you know your podcast has been so amazing and that you've you've made that transition from being a footy player to now you're a professional like you've this is a professional podcast professional setup and you're starting to get the the cool people on the show like i'm probably not one of them but yeah, you know, you're one of them. cool people on, on the show list because you do you do the work and it's it's that professional mindset it's it's funny you say that we, we were talking about this earlier with sam we're running down some questions that you know that we would have actually asked like early days it would be like you know Who's, Who's, got the worst, Who's got the worst haircut of the club, yeah. you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, like, and it was just like, fuck, you know, it, it, it has come a long way, but it's not, honestly, it's not to do with anyone that does this and anyone that does anything. It's not where you start. It's where, you you know, you can get to. And, and as I said, the academy can teach you those tools to do that. Can anyone go to this school? So, currently, it's just for boys. Yep. Uh, we're, we're really... Uh, looking to to expand to girls in the future but we want to sort of we're putting expressions of interest out now for our three campuses yep. um, on our website so theacademy.com.au um so if if you are um a female interested in getting involved in the um education space and you're currently not feeling like you're getting everything that you want out so, of so is school, this from someone that's in like year nine ten they're tri- they're going look is this going to be for me they can transition from year 10 into this program correct yeah, yeah. so they finish or so currently just the boys that yeah. will finish their year 11 and 12 with us so they'll finish and get their vcal certificate they'll get a cert three in sport and rec and a cert four in tertiary prep the reason why we bundled them together is because VCAL is a really, it stands for the Victorian Certificate of Applied Learning. So, mm. it's, it's that practical learning of do the theory, uh, test it out, review it, and then go again and keep around in this cycle. Whereas VCE is very much about accumulate knowledge all the way through and then we'll test you at the end to see how much you've kept. Mm. Like it just didn't work for me. I needed to see how it applied in my life. So, VCAL was a really good model uh, for us, for especially athletic young boys. And that Cert for and Tertiary Prep allows... Uh, the students to go to university if they want to so um usually you need an atar score to go to university now with this cert four you can go to university you can go to tafe you can go anywhere so it's about understanding your learning style and then you know creating the pathway for you specifically so it's just for boys uh uh, passionate about their football they want to be involved in the industry in some way as a player administrator coach whatever uh, and it's your year 11 and 12 education oh, talk us through this and this again i could keep you here all day talking but talk us through a day-to-day like what does that actually look like for someone that's out there like i oh, know like, oh, i did about four subjects in year 12 so i was hardly at school <laughs> how what's a day-to-day look like for for someone at you know participating in the program so they'll come in at um, between before nine o'clock. So school starts at nine o'clock in the morning, and they'll do their wellness check-in. So it's really important that so we've got a, a iPad there which does their physical and uh, mental well-being. So uh, floor to ceiling, how you're feeling physically. So ankles, knees, hips, all that kind of stuff. How much can you participate in uh, the high-performance program at the end of the day? Uh, but also, uh, how motivated are you to um, be involved in school today? How are you feeling? How many hours sleep did you have last night? What are your motivation levels like? Like that then gets fed to the teaching staff, which then can 
facilitate discussions. So mm. it's not just about, um, you know, calling out, oh, Jimmy's sore today, so yeah. we can't do skills. Like, yep. it's sort <laughs> of just like, um, you know, going and say, hey, mate, I understand you've been under the weather. Like, how come you only had four hours sleep last night? Is everything okay? Yeah. And that's we, what we do in an AFL club. That, so yeah. yeah. And that, that's a lot of these things are based on an AFL football club yep. that you need to have these things if you're going to perform at a high level in the classroom we need to start having a few flags along the way so they'll do their wellness check in the morning and then traditionally they'll do either um, literacy numeracy work-related skills personal development skills as part of their curriculum or their cert three Um, and then the back half of the day that's where we'll do so like on a monday that's when it'd be like a monday after a game so it'll be flush runs bit of a stretch more of a recovery type thing we might go to a hydro uh, facility maybe do some recovery that way uh, Tuesday and Thursday that's when we have a S&C and a footy split so we would do uh, sort of 45 minutes of skill work outside all based on uh, like game plan principles uh, and then the other half would go and do strength and conditioning inside uh, so that's Tuesday Thursday and then Wednesday is a double skills day so that's related to um, the uh, cert three that they have and then fridays like pilates and stuff like that no, so, literally sounds like a week at a, at a footy club it, it's pretty much is yeah. and, and when you think about and this is i think the thing that young people don't really understand about being a professional footballer is Educate. there's a lot of meetings oh mate that, that's what it is mm. it is all meetings it's it's literally meetings meetings and table tennis and indoor cricket like, yes i was never allowed to play cricket oh really no really? i was just i didn't is that because your shoulders or? couldn't roll the, no i just they wouldn't let me play like, i was so <laughs> bad like they just wouldn't let me play um oh, i was allowed to physically just socially i'd got banned yeah that was so shit um we'll move on from that but no it sounds so exciting man like you know if i was at that age and, and had something available like that now i'd be definitely get it so we'll have all the links in the show notes as well for that if anyone's interested which i'm sure there is and you've got some new campuses coming in in geelong and geelong and wangaratta, wangaratta. so yeah w- one thing like our dream is to sort of align ourselves with an ab league system it's sort of like unofficial now but like Essendon, we see like sort of Northern Knights, Calder Cannons, Western Jets. Uh, Wangaratta's obviously the Bushies, Geelong's, Geelong Falcons. You know, whether we go to Ballarat and go the Greater Western Rebels, have one in the South that can sort of do like Sandy and Oakley and all that kind of stuff. So that's our dream to really connect in because I think the NAB League is the best way into the AFL. Like that's where everyone wants to watch. Um, So it's sort of just having the right partnerships and and making sure that the AFL are happy with it because we don't want to step on anyone's toes. But um, that's what we'd love to, to have going huge man you should be super proud it sounds like a incredible incredible um setup and i'm sure that it's doing great things which definitely is also kids books are you playing footy religion the academy and now writing how do you find time to do anything uh yeah it's that's i think if i had a superpower that would be it that i like time management (laughs) yeah poor time management it's like i have so many things that i want to do in so little time but um i yeah i love because uh, I am not a very good reader and I um, never really enjoyed reading when I was younger. And so, I don't know, I just wanted to get into that space to try and like sort of create some meaningful books around, um, you know, resilience and a little bit about my story and things like that. But I've got a really funny story at the moment now that I'm working on that's Please like, do. you know, copyright. Um, <laughs> so, I don't even know if I'm going to publish it or not, but I just like writing them. Um so I wanted to challenge myself to write like a rhyming one. Like, have you yeah. have you heard of like Macca the Alpaca, the kids um, book? I, so it sounds like, familiar. And Hama the Llama. So like they're no, all part of it. It's like, uh, like Macca was an alpaca. And he played with maracas. Like yeah. it was just like, okay. I, I was like, yeah, that's awesome. I want to write a kid's book like that. Um, so this one's about a potato. Because so how the thought came to my mind, first of all, was like um, I was eating a baked potato. And you know how like the inside 
So the outside's like this will be all right. Yeah. Inside lava. Yeah. And then you yeah, like hot. get the blister, oh, blister skin on the gums and all that kind of I've stuff. I got tingles and like from bad experiences. So very bad. So I was like. Potatoes should be sacked as that. Like, yeah. So, imagine if someone took potatoes to court and they were no longer allowed to be a baked potato. So, like, <laughs> so, this, so this is the story of Spud the potato. He gets sacked from being a baked potato and he's got to go and find a new job. <laughs> is this copywriter? Is this in the making or not? Yeah. Well, I've, okay. ri- I've written the story. Okay, good. I was going to so say it's, that um, you'd want to- Because that feel like people would be stealing that one. So, what would you- like? If you were a potato, what would be your first job after after? So you're not allowed to be a baked potato. I've been potato a spud my whole life, so I think <laughs> that, you know now transitioning into podcasting has sort of turned out pretty well. Um, I don't know though. I, I'd have to give some thought on what a potato would transition into. Mm, so that's what? the question. So do he, we find out? You do. Okay, fantastic. So it, and it goes full circle quite nicely, and it <laughs> rhymes. So not very not very good rhymes, but you know it's like. But yeah, I'm I'm kind of happy with this one because from everyone I spoke to. Prior coming to this show, they were like, man, you got to ask like Rancy, like he's always got a business idea. He's like the entrepreneur king, your inventions, like you must have like an invention list that you've been thinking of. Is anything else on the radar that's coming soon that you, you want to create? Nah, not- Oh, there's, I've got like 50 up here. Yeah. Do you want my my sort of next two? Give ideas? me an next two, yeah. Right. Or what you said, what's your most- Give me an next two and then give me one that you probably won't ever do, but you feel there's a space for it that might be too far. So, these aren't ever going to happen. So, I'm happy for them to put okay. them in. So, <laughs> so, Ugg boots. Yeah. Amazing for when it's cold. Yeah. What about when it's hot? <laughs> so, what are you going to do? So, what you do is- Thongs. There's a- What? Like Ugg boot thongs. Is that what you're going to yeah. say? Like what? So, they're like wool on the inside. Uh, yeah. Of your <laughs> yeah. Think of the design aesthetic to that. That sounds like a horrible idea. It's like people with mullets. Like, yeah. anyway, so, think about this. So, there's like, you know, those gel packs that the blue gel packs, ice pack. Yeah. So, you know, how you can get heating and cooling yeah. ones of them. Ugboot. Insert made of this gel. But so, there's a layer on, but that goes beneath your feet that when you step on it, displaces the gel like around the beddy. outside yeah. and it compresses your foot as you walk. Heat it, cool it, summer, winter, no problem. <laughs> you could actually take that further and just put it in any shoe. It doesn't have to be an Ugg boot. True. Imagine that like a Vans cutoff like version. Well, it's- I would always think on footy boots as well. Like it always rattled me why- I'm getting off topic here, but it always rattled me why laces weren't always done at the middle. Why would you put laces down the side? You know how they used to do that on footy mm. boots? It would really annoy me because I'm like, if you're going to kick, you're going to miss your boot and mm. go from that. That's off topic, I know, but maybe think about that too. Okay. So, but that's why I thought Ugg boot would be a good one because you just put a zip down the back, slide the in. slide the insert yeah. in, foot in. <laughs> so, but all you I don't know, do, man. You're selling yourself short. I don't think you should have told anyone about that. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, if they come to me and say, at Alex Rance. Well, it's, it's on now. So Then whatever whatever happens, happens. What's but your other one? We can take. So, the other one was, so this was an app. So- <laughs> So, I had this idea. So, believe it or not, we actually went down this path, Chris Knights and I. We were like yeah. going to build this app. So, before we realized that it was like clearly breaching privacy rights. But yeah. uh, so, so had a big night. Yes. What happened last night? Oh, I don't know what happened last night. Like, you know, with that with the boys and then just like got this, you know, just pit of nothing. Like, you know, we went around, did a few things. Night owl. What does it do? <laughs> Night owl tells you what you did that night. <laughs> oh, okay. So, 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 so you, what you can do before the yeah. night goes on. So, like, 
we're on tonight. Yeah. We're, we're going out. We're going to hit the pub. We're going to go to Jersey Boys yeah. uh, after. <laughs> hand yeah, not going to pay me. He's not going to pay you back. You're probably going to have to buy him drinks after yep. as well, which he's yep. probably not going to pay you back for. So, yep. espresso martinis on deal. Uh, but then just this big blank patch. So, start of the night, we're on. Start, night owl, bang, away you go. Just operates in the back. So then you take a phone, phone call, like t- photos at night, you film in Jersey Boys, not supposed to, but you do it anyway. Yes. Just because you want to just- Because you want it, it's form for safety of yourself. Yeah, live on the life of the edge. Yeah. So go to another joint, uh, send a few text messages off, make a few phone calls, uh, get in an Uber, go to another venue, uh, and then you get home, plug your phone in, wake up the next day. You've got like a worm that has all these like dots along it. So this is where this is the map you traveled. You sent a photo here. You took a phone call there. You went to this. You went to that. And so it like maps out your night. It's actually not a bad idea. What you've done. It's honestly not a bad idea. So think about that when you're going on a holiday as well. So like this is uh, this is the worm that I've traveled around the United States. I've gone like posted you know, in your scrapbook. Yep, Austin, Houston, New Orleans, Memphis, Nashville. Yep. I've gone to you know um, Austin City Limits, yep. whatever, all that kind of stuff. Bop, 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 bop. Phone, a few phone calls, a few photos. It's like a of a live scrapbook that when you like tap on it like expands you know phone call I like hammer, that hammer text message sent pay me for the jersey ball <laughs> like expands so the barrier to that was all the boys were like what if you know what if I have a bit of a rowdy night and someone gets hold of it and I'm like oh, well yeah. That's don't have good. a rowdy night then. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's just, true. It's like what yeah. if my missus gets hold of this reassess your values like, well, yeah exactly straighten up fly straight yeah um, so anyway that one that one went in the bin as well okay so anyway, uh, give us some feedback on that one, uh, if you want. Just yeah, it's not talking no, back. Is it? No, it's not talking back. No, so. fuck, man. Um, we should try and get some. We've callers. done full full round circle today. Yeah. We've actually hit every facet of your life. I've absolutely mm. loved it. I've got actually. No, I won't, I've got a few more, but <laughs> I'll leave. I'll leave it there because we're we're running out of time. No, I we're definitely not running out of time. But I just don't want to give all these good ideas away. So I've got this idea <laughs> for a. A game that I, because I really enjoy Scrabble and Sudoku. Scrabble. Hey, I haven't haven't worked on the rules, but you know I can. That could be good. I, I can give you a. So you there's like a Scrabble board, so triple point score and double point score, um, and you've got to get. But Sudoku rules apply. So you've got to you have like the numbers in front of you, and it's like you know you versus me, and we've got to try and but you can block each other because. Man, you, your brain is pretty late. You've so you've been thinking a lot lately. I tr- I actually built the board for this, and then <laughs> so my brother-in-law and I we start played it first with like chalk on the driveway in Port Arlington. Um, and it was a great game. We like we played with cards, but and then I, I started to build it, and I was like, why would someone buy this? They can just do it on a driveway with chalk. So again. <laughs> Crash and burn, <laughs> yeah. another idea, but hey, we're, we're still- we're well, still- you, Look, you've nailed it with the academy. I reckon we stick to that for a while. Let's reassess yeah. in 12 months and maybe we can we can maybe do a venture, joint venture together, JV. Hey, look, I'm, cool. I'm up for anything. Mm. I, I think the more ridiculous, the better sometimes. Yeah. As long as the- You just got to back yourself in. As long as the capital investment's not too high, Yeah. I'm all for like a real gag investment. Okay. Just like a joke. Let's chat off air. Mm. Be good. Ranty, mate, honestly, um, cannot thank you enough for your time today. Cannot- yeah, blessed to have you in the studio, man. Honestly, um, it's pretty crazy. Like you are, and I know you don't you don't deal with confident uh, compliments well, but you know, incredible, incredible player, incredible person. Um, you're doing great things with the uh, the academy, and um, yeah, just an honour to have you in, man. Tell your story and have a chat and, and become friends. No, that's awesome. Thanks for having me. 
If that wasn't enough for you and you want even more, you're in luck. Dylan Friends is now on Patreon. Dylan Best Friends. If you'd like to learn more, you can head to patreon.com forward slash Dylan Friends or you can head to the link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to the Dylan Friends podcast. If you like the show, it'd be a massive help if you could like, follow, rate, leave a review or even share with your friends. The show is produced by myself and Sam Bonza. Damon Jackman from Creative Edge Films is responsible for audio and visual production. The show is recorded at the Dylan Friends Studio in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to get in touch or suggest a guest or advertise with the Dylan Friends podcast, please email us at inquiries at dylanfriends.com. Thanks so much for tuning in.